This morning I'll be reading from Acts chapter 13, verses 1 to 3. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And this is the word of God. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, we have been in this series today as our last day talking about what does it truly mean to be a disciple of Jesus? And uh, to just confession, we have uh, kind of missed this a bit ourselves uh, because uh, honestly in my mind and I think in a lot of people's minds, we've thought destination a disciple is somebody who ends up somewhere, who achieves maybe some level of growth, of spiritual growth. But uh, what uh, I want to uh, reiterate this morning is, as we have done through the series, is that uh, a disciple is someone who's moving in a certain direction. What is that direction? Discover who Jesus is? Belong to a small group of believers in a, uh, in a transparent way where you can grow? Serve, uh, do what God has gifted and called you to do, and go. So a disciple is someone who is doing this. This is a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so none of that says, okay, I come to the church for what the church can give me, does it? All of that says I am called by God and, and saved by God to discover my uh, uh, gifts, discover God, and, and belong and serve and go. And so this morning we're talking about the going, the little, the little uh, foot um, going. Where has God called you to? All right, so that's uh, the question we're going to answer. And before we can jump, I think, adequately into our scripture, we need to go to Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8 really gives us some insight into what's happening in 13. Jesus is talking in Acts 1.8, and he says, But you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, these are the people gathered around him. He's about to ascend. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. All right, so those are the marching orders. You've got Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. If you were looking at a map of Israel, you would see Jerusalem here, capital of Judea, the region. Samaria is just north. End of the earth is everywhere else. So I want to talk at the beginning today of how God is leading us as a church to do this. And then uh, we may discover other ways, directions, situations into which he's leading us. So our Acts 1-8 strategy, if you will, here at Grace, our Judea, our Jerusalem and Judea looks like this. Our wellness ministry you should be aware of. You can go to our website and check out that where we seek to help people live uh, healthy lives. Uh, our benevolence and food pantry ministry used by God to meet people's needs in a difficult time in their lives. Uh, Lunch Bunch. We will launch that in just uh, uh, a few weeks. Lunch bunches where we join other churches around our county and make sure that no child goes without food this summer. And then there's roofing project coming up. You need to sign up for that. See Zane. Uh, that will be uh, a week from Friday. Uh, Saturday, uh, we'll be roofing another house Facebook Live. 
our early service this morning that primarily reaches people right here in our region who aren't able to get here to church. Uh, East Marion Baptist, three years ago, we sent a group of about 50 people on, to the east side of town, and uh, they went there, stayed there, and God has used them, and that church is growing, and Andrew Walker left our staff to be their pastor. Uh, mentoring ministry, you may not be aware, but I'm privileged to mentor. Uh, now will be two groups of, of uh, folks who are going into ministry or who are in ministry. And uh, uh, these folks pastor churches right here in our county. Um, and some pastor churches outside of our county. I'll speak to that in a moment. But right down the road from us is Greenlee Baptist Church. You could walk there right? Greenlee Baptist. Jonathan Tipper is their pastor. Remarkable guy. Uh, Jonathan is in our mentoring group. Why would I include Jonathan in our mentoring group? Because we want Greenlee to succeed. Amen? And we do. We are not here just for 5182 U.S. 70 West. We want God to do a great work. As a matter of fact, one of our very own, just three weeks ago, went to serve there as their youth pastor, Pike Davis. And he's now at Greenlee Baptist doing youth ministry there. And so we want God to work. Go right down the road to PG Baptist Church. Josh Hayes is their pastor, used to be on staff here. And now one of our own who used to be here is down there, Ethan Hester, as the youth worker. Do we want God to work at PG Baptist? Yes, we do. We're excited about what God is doing there. And out in Old Fort, Gail Wilson, who used to be a member here, who's a, a, a pastor at, at Friendship Baptist as part of the mentoring group, we want God to work all over this county. God has called us to this county. We partner with, with uh, Danny Hampton in his prison ministry. Just awesome opportunities to do the work of God. That's our, that's our Acts 1-8. And then... We go into to, to Samaria. That we, we think of that as the United States when we look at that mentoring. Well, we have some pastors who drive in from uh, Spartanburg, from Winston, from Greensboro, from Asheville to be part of this uh, group that meets on a monthly basis. We have church planting partnerships. Right now, there's a, uh, a, a multi-ethnic church meeting in downtown Asheville that we were a launching part of that church Jazz Cathcart pastors that church. When you give, your money supports God's work there at Reach Life Church. And so we're, we partner with them. We're looking into a partnership right outside of Chapel Hill right now with two young pastors who are part of the mentoring group. And then Don Grindstaff. Don is a member here. He has retired, but God has refired him. And uh, he is going to begin serving with uh, relief ministries around uh, the country. When there's a hurricane, when there's a need, he's being trained as a chaplain now to go in. And he and Marie will travel to do that. Samaritan's Purse is one of those ministries we work with. All the way out in California, Josh Bingham, who's a local kid, serves with uh, Campus Outreach at San Diego State University, Point Loma, we partner with these folks doing God's work, uh, sending folks after hurricanes and things like that. And then we go to the ends of the earth. And so for us, that is Ecuador. So we have a partnership with an orphanage that takes care of 90-some children in Ecuador. It's tremendous. And we partner with the church in Ecuador 
And so uh, uh, four weeks from yesterday, about 30 of us will pull out. We'll go there. We'll have nurses, doctors, construction workers, and we'll go in. And for nine, ten days, God will use us, hopefully wonderfully, to make a huge difference. As a matter of fact, that church in the north, they have doctors in their church. We'll put our doctors, nurses with them and travel to places that you better be praying for us. All right, so our bus is hanging on the side of a mountain as we're trying to get to some of these villages to share the gospel. And so uh, that's Ecuador, Senegal, Senegal, uh, I'll talk about more in a moment, so we'll leave that, Matt and Elena, that should say Senegal, not Ecuador. They're missionaries to Senegal that we sponsor financially, Mark and Michelle Wise. If you were here last week, you heard Michelle share. They are uh, members here, missionaries in Uganda, and then every Christmas, we do an offering that goes to help missionaries all over the world that are hired by the uh, Southern Baptist. And so that's our work right now around the world. So that's what God has called us to do at this point. We know that will change. The, the reality is Acts 1-8 uh, really becomes an organizational structure for missions today and missions then. Chapters 1 through 12, only they have gotten to Samaria. They have not reached beyond Samaria. Chapter 13 of Acts, they start to go, and here's how. Two ways. Number one, God calls and the church sends. All right, this is how God's work is done. God calls and the church sends. All right, so before we jump in, let's look at the makeup of the church at Antioch. All right, these names that, that Betty read, some are kind of hard. Barnabas was from the island of Cyprus. All right, so Barnabas, I just want you to see, this is uh, A.D. 47, 12 years or so after Christ has ascended. This is who the church is at this northern city uh, just outside of Israel uh, called Antioch. You've got Barnabas. Barnabas is from Cyprus. Number two, Simeon. Who was Simeon? Do you remember when Jesus was crucified and they grabbed a guy to carry his cross? Many people believe that this is that same Simeon. Simeon would have been from North Africa. Lucius of Cyrene, he would have been North African. Do you see what we have here? All right, so, so I'm preaching in a county that is predominantly white. But in this early church, we have... We have Barnabas, who is a Jew from Cyprus, and we have two Africans and Antioch. I love that. I love the diversity. I love who's here. Then you've got Mania, and he, he is uh, probably an elite Jew because he grew up with Herod, uh, Antipas, Herod who killed uh, John the Baptist. He grew up with him. And then Saul, Saul is from Cilicia. He is a Jew by birth, but a Roman by birth because he grew up outside of Israel. He is from Cilicia. These are the people who make up this crew who are, who are named here. Wow, the church uh, isn't white at all. It's uh, a real international blend of people, isn't it? It's fascinating that in our egocentrism, we think so differently. So we go every year out in the bush in Senegal, Africa, and we take a medical team. This may blow your mind, but it is the only time of year they get medical treatment, all right? This one time we go in, and uh, 
into to Africa. And I want to show you a picture. Uh, you can tell who stands out in this picture. That's quite obvious. All right, so, so this is Sheridna and uh, with the, the hoodie on. And this is his wife with that beautiful smile. That's Esther. Now, Sheridna and Esther uh, lead this church out in the bush. Uh, when we were there year before last, we worshiped under a mango tree. Uh, this year, we worshiped under a, uh, uh, a shed, a roof. Year before last, the roof had blown off of their church building. No walls, no doors, no windows, just a back wall and a shed and a concrete floor. And uh, during rainy season and during sand season, they can't worship because the rains are torrential and the sand is blinding. And so you will be pleased to know that our mission team just a week ago approved the money so that when we return in January, most likely there will be walls, windows, and doors on this church building. Now, that building is, if you start at this row and go back to uh, Ian, if you'll raise your hand, there's Ian. Yeah, he raises both. That's Ian. All right, so if you'll go back to Ian, it's about that size, right? Maybe just, a, that's about that size, the size of the building. Do you know what it costs us to put walls, doors, windows, $2,340. That's all. The exchange is 550 to 1 in Senegal. It's absolutely remarkable that God has called Pastor Sheridan and Esther to do what they do and that he has given us this opportunity to go camp out in the bush once a year, give them some much-needed medical care, eat with them, love on them, do life with them for about a week, come home, and support them through your giving. It's amazing what God is doing in his church. How do we figure out how to do it? Here's how they figured it out. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. All right, so worship we know, fasting we don't. Agree? Yeah, worship we know. Fasting, what is that? So let me give you a definition. Fasting is a negative action, abstaining from food and other distractions for the sake of a positive one. That's what fasting is. It's a negative action, abstaining from food and other distractions for the sake of a positive one. All right, so let me give you an illustration of how this works. This summer, more than 100 of our folks will head to Caswell. It will be a remarkable youth retreat. It's amazing how God works that week. Why? Why does he work in such a wonderful way? Well, our students are not allowed, students, if you're listening, take note, to have technology at all. No phone. No phone is to leave this campus with them. Helicopter parents. You will not trace your kids around all week. While they're at Caswell, right? So they have no phone. It is amazing what happens when a teenager disconnects from her technology, from his technology, and listens to the voice of God. 
for a week. Parents will tell you, different kids come home. That's a fast. That's what it is. Um, teens, most teens were in the early service, but there's several in here. I wonder what an evening without Fortnite would look like if you walked away from the game console, yeah, TJ, and listen to the voice of God. What if, what if you said, God, tonight, no Fortnite, just you? What, adults, if you said, God, today, no Facebook, just you? Just you. I, I'm, I'm not doing Facebook today. Lord, it's just you. Workaholics, what if you took a day off to listen to the voice of God? That's, that's what this is about. Uh, what if you skipped a meal and said, Lord, during this time, I want to hear from you. And when the hunger pangs come, your prayers go to the Lord and you seek him out and you want to hear his voice. My point is that for those kids who hear God so strongly at Caswell, He's been talking the other 51 weeks of the year. But, but perhaps you were too busy to hear it. This is what they do. They fast and they pray and not so God would call them. That had happened. They're, they're just making sure. God, are we hearing you? They fast and they pray. I'm so grateful, I've shared this before, but I'm so grateful for, for those who were quiet enough to hear the voice of God and his call on my life. I'm so grateful for that. You say, Jerry, what do you mean? Well, I had a career headed in a very specific direction that had nothing at all to do with being a pastor. I had one goal, and that goal was to be a college president by the time I was 40. That's what I wanted to do. And I was eagle eye on that goal, doing everything I could, getting my education, getting to know the right people, eagle eye. That was my goal. That's what I wanted to do. I'm in grad school, getting it done down at the University of South Carolina. Love that shirt. Um, but getting it done. And God began to work through his word. That's next week's series we'll start. God began to work through his word. And his voice. And back and forth, and I said yes. So the morning I announced my call to preach was in the little church I grew up in. And uh, I left, and I was walking down the aisle. And Albert, who's a short man who didn't read nor did he write, stopped me. Just reached his hand out, stopped me. He said, Jerry. While you were singing in the choir this morning, God told me you was going to be a preacher. You see, Albert lived, he's gone to be with the Lord now, but he lived on Highway 70. His house is still there. And I lie you not, there are days when I am bent beneath the weight of the work here. And I've heard your stories, 
carried your burdens with you. I'll get in my Jeep and ask the Lord how to leave this here and love who's at 284. And I'll go by Albert's house and immediately I'm halfway down the aisle of that church and I'll hear those words. God told me you was going to be a preacher. I need to hear that. that. I need to hear that. For some reason, Albert was quiet enough to hear the voice of God. Then I remember Paul who was standing on the front porch of the church and I walked out. Tears were coming down his face. And Paul looked at me and he said, son, I prayed for this for three years. I get home to my mom. My mom, who is a praying woman, who is up early praying for us still today, seeking God's face. Listen, if you have a praying mother, what a gift. What a gift you have. She intercedes for us. She prays specifically for us before any of us are up and at it. And I'm up early. Mom is in prayer for us. And I get home that day and I said, well, Mom... You know, I'm at the end of my master's, and I, I said, well, Mom, uh, God's called me to preach. I know, son. Well, I mean, this is before Facebook. So I said, how do you know? Well, God told me. When? A year ago. Well, Mom, why didn't you tell me? You wouldn't have listened? She let the Lord do that. You see, that's what happens here. They're quiet enough to hear the voice of God. And so I'm just saying to you that in order for us to send whoever God calls, we've got to quiet down. We've got to hear the voice of God. There's got to be a time in our individual lives and in our corporate life as a church when it's quiet and when God is speaking and when we're listening and we're doing whatever it is that he tells us to do. Amen? That time has to come. We are so busy, our lives are so hurried, we have so much to do and so many places to go and so much entertainment that I'm afraid we miss the voice of God. It isn't that God grows silent. No, it's that the noise of life drowns him out. So the church calls, or God calls, and then the church sends. What do they say? While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said... I love that phrase, right? The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Not call them. Listen, it's not our job to call. In case you're wondering, I'm not that good. No one in this room is. I cannot call you to ministry because if I call you, I could call you out, right? If I send you, I could tell you to come back. That's not my job. God does the calling. We do the sending, right? And this is how it goes. And please hear me. I am convinced of this. Some would disagree with me. I do not trust a missionary who does not have a home church. I don't. Not at all. I, 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 don't, I don't get anybody who thinks they can fly solo. How in the world would you ever consider going into God's work without God's people? Well, it doesn't make any sense. Right? Why would you ever do that? No, you go as God's people send you. That's what you do. 
That's what you do. There's no need to fly solo. No, this is, this is the church becomes the, the senders, right? So after fasting and praying, they, 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 uh, they say, okay, we're going to put our hands on you and send you out. Why? Well, God is ascending God. It's at the core of who he is. He sends. How do we know? When Adam blew it and Eve blew it, what did God do? Did he stand up in heaven, cross his arms, and go, I knew that would happen? No. Did he know? Yeah. But he didn't say that. Did he say, I told you so? No. God came walking in the garden in the cool of the day and said, Adam, where are you? Why? He can't help himself. It's who he is. who he is. He's a coming down kind of God. Adam and Eve blew it so badly. Then when God is going to keep his promise to raise up a people, he goes over into Mesopotamia between the Tigris and Euphrates River where things grow and birds sing and life is wonderful. And he calls Abram, uh, who is uh, worshiping idols, and he says, Abram, I've called you. Leave here. Come over here to Palestine. It's 1,100-mile trek. Abram's father-in-law dies on the way. It doesn't deter him. He makes the 1,100-mile trek. Uh, from, from the fertile crescent to the desert, there goes Abram. God calls him and he goes. When the people cry out to him out of Egypt, God finds Moses on the backside of the desert. Who's Moses? Well, he, he used to be the prince of Egypt, now the fugitive from Egypt. He's married. He's uh, married into the family business. It's lucrative. Life is good. Just, just uh, be Jethro's son-in-law. Uh, be a shepherd. Help him uh, take care of his sheep. Life is wonderful. No, that's not what, how God rolls. It's just not how he works. Burning bush. Uh, notwithstanding, Moses says, who, me? I can't even talk. How would you put me in front of the Pharaoh? Uh, in the back of his mind, he doesn't say it has to be. I'm running from there, not planning to go back. And so that's... God calls him, doesn't he? But I guess the most, or not I guess, the most profound was one day God looked over at his son and said, it's time. Jesus, you, it's time to go. You say, you, for real, did that happen? Galatians, Paul wrote, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those who are under the law. And so God looks at Jesus and says, it's time to go. And I'm, I just imagine that heaven went, oh, no. He's really going through with this plan. And God summons Gabriel and says, Gabriel, your job, go. Go make the announcement. Jesus is born. Go make the announcement. The angels are, you can't, you got to be kidding me. You got to be kidding me. You're, you're sending your only son into that. 
He's born in a manger a bunch among, uh, uh, among a bunch of animals. He's, he's, uh, his mom is just a mere teenager. His dad is a poor carpenter. He lives in Galilee of all places. He's not coming out of Rome. He's not in the metropolis of his day. And Gabriel, I'm to make an announcement. Gabriel must have said to God, to shepherds of all people, to shepherds. And God says, go. Go, Gabriel, go. The angels are thinking and the seraphim are thinking. This is the one whose train of the robe filled the temple. And we flew in and out of the temple saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And God said, Go. They went. Gabriel made the announcements. The shepherds went and looked. Jesus is born. Luke only records this. He goes up with mom and dad to the temple and they lose him. It's a horrifying thing for a parent to do. They find him and they chide him as any good parent would do. And Jesus looks at them and says, at this young tender age of 10, 12, something like that, I have to be about my father's business. How serious was he? He told Peter and the rest of the crew he was going to die on a cross. Peter looked at him and said, no way. Jesus looked at Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. I will. God is ascending God. Aren't you glad? You see, this is what distinguishes Christianity from every other world religion. In every other world religion, we do things to get to God. In Christianity, God did something to come to us. You know what that means? There's absolutely zero, zilch, nada, nothing you can do to contribute to your salvation. God has done that in Christ by sending his son. So God sends. Well, well who sins today? The church does now. God did then. God sent Jesus. God calls the church sins. Why is that important? Look at this verse. Jesus in Matthew 24, the disciples want to know how all this is going to come to an end. And Jesus says, here's how. He gives them, there will be earthquakes, there will be famine, there will be uh, wars and rumors of wars. And he goes through a list of things. Here's the last thing in the list. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Wow. When will the end come? When the gospel's preached to the nations. Well, how are we doing on that? Glad you asked. All right, let's look. And uh, let me see if this thing's going to do the trick. Okay, here we go. All right, so let's look at the progress toward reaching unreached peoples. All right, so in the world today, there are 11,750 people groups. That's 11,750 people who have their own language, their own tribal uh, customs, whatever it may be. Uh, they could be huge, they could be small. 11,750 of them. All right, the ones in the green, 4,700 people groups, no longer unreached. That means they're reached. They have heard the gospel, and the gospel has taken root. That's what that means. Within that people group, within that language, the gospel has taken root. 
4,700. That represents 3.1 billion people of the 7.3 billion people on the earth. All right. Unreached. Look at this. 7,050 people groups, 4.2 billion people still are categorized by how much the gospel has woven its way in as unreached. When you read that, when you see that, what do you think? Wow, what a task we have. What a task we have to go to the nations, right? To go to unreached people groups and share the gospel with them. But probably to me, the most exciting thing on this infograph is this. 3,800 people groups are already engaged. Somehow the gospel has gotten in. They're just not yet reached. It's not taken a hold. So they've heard the gospel. Someone in that people group has heard the gospel. That accounts for 4 billion people. So 4 billion people the gospel has gotten to. But they've not yet been reached. There needs to be more. It needs to be deeper. There needs to be more time. Whatever the case may be. So who does that leave? That leaves unengaged and unreached 220 million out of 7.3 billion. That, my friends, is good news. The gospel is penetrating. How is it happening? Technology. Technology is now getting the gospel in places where it could never go before. So we serve in Senegal, Africa. Senegal, Africa is uh, the people we serve, the Serer, are in the engaged yet unreached. So where we go every single year, we're among a people who speak another language, whose primary religion is Islam, and they are engaged with the gospel yet unreached. For example, in the village where we are in the bush, there are 1.8 million Sarers. That's the people group that we serve with, that we study, that we reach out to. Of the one, in the village where we live, it's a Sarer village. All right, in that village where we serve, that village has about 2,000 people who live in the village. 50 of them come to church. So 50 of the 2,000 have been reached. That would be considered to be a reached village. Film is there, the gospel is there, and we're getting ready. We're looking, I have an email sitting on my desk right now that will help us uh, to partner with the ministry and get solar Bibles in there, in their language. We'll deliver them on our next trip over and hand them out. And so we can go all over this village that has no electricity, but they can get these solar Bibles and listen. They don't have to be able to read. Just listen to the Word of God. Isn't that awesome? All right, so, so that's engaged yet unreached. And then we have unengaged and unreached. Two weeks ago, we here at Grace received a gift to be used for missions. Judea. Samaria to the ends of the earth for $70,000 just for missions. Someone gave it unsolicited and said this is to be used for missions to go to the ends of the earth to reach people with the gospel. 
Here you'll see all the groups on the map. These are all the reached peoples on the map. These are all the unreached peoples on the map, right? The, uh, the orangish yellow color represents those engaged but unreached. There they are, engaged but unreached. Senegal is up there in the western tip of Africa. And those are the unengaged and unreached. So you say, well, Jerry, I don't sense God has called me to go over there. Okay, all right, perhaps he has not. I don't know that God has called me to go to those places. All right, so let me ask you a question this morning. Because we believe here at Grace that everybody is sent. All right, if you're in here this morning and you are in elementary, middle, or high school, or college, would you stand? All right. God has sent you to your college campus, to your high school campus, to your homeschool environment, to your middle school campus to proclaim the gospel. You you are there, I know, to get an education. But you're also there to be sought in a tasteless world, to be light in darkness. It is there where he has called you and sent you. Your own mission for him. All right, you can be seated. If you work in education, would you stand all around the room? You work in education, college, high school, middle school, elementary, preschool, all around the room. God has sent you to your campus to serve him by being salt and light in a tough place. People really need to hear the gospel. And you are there serving him so that they can see the gospel lived out. They are longing to see Christ in you. Be that a homeschool environment, a public school environment, a private school environment. God has called you to go and serve. You can be seated. If you're in here this morning and you work in something that that I call human services, like social services or hospice, uh, uh, in in the medical field, you work in, would you stand? You are front lines with hurting people, right? They're desperate when they get to you. They're, They're needy when they get to you. God has called you to reach them with the gospel. At a, at a moment when they might be prone to listen. All right, you can be seated. If you're here and you work with, a, uh, with the public in any way. All right, God bless you. Um, if that is you, would you stand? You may own your own business. You may be in sales. You may do whatever it is, but you're interacting. You may serve food. You may do these different things, but you're interacting with people every single day. Wow, you tend to catch people when they are most impatient, right? They wanted it yesterday. Uh, Wow, God can use you in such a tremendous way if you're quiet enough to hear his voice and say, God, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. You can be seated. All right, final group, retirees, if you'll stand. All right, around the room. These are the retirees. All right, 
All right, so here you are. Yes. Your value to a church like this cannot be measured. And I want to tell you why. There is no substitute for the experience you have. None. The wisdom you have gained through the years, there is no substitute for that. You are needed to speak truth into the lives of the rest of the folks who are seated right here. Amen, folks? You're so needed. You can be seated. God has brought you to a time when you're sent. You are sent. You say, so Jerry, what do we do? All right, beginning today, every service thereafter, we will end with three words. Three words. You are sent. Why? Because we'll forget if we don't remind ourselves. You say, Jerry, how will I know where I am? Honestly, I think it's found right there. While they were worshiping and what? Fasting. That's how. Will you be quiet and still enough to hear what God has to say to you? Yesterday morning, uh, I wish they were in this service they were in the early. I was sitting on my front porch. It was early. Had my Bible, cup of coffee, and I'm reading a little book by Robert Morgan right now that uh, is so good so far. Red Sea Rules. So I'll, I'll, I'll fill you in when I finish. But uh, I'm sitting there, I'm reading that book, and or I'm reading the Word, and somebody pulls up my drive. And uh, I look, and it's Paul. And he opens the door, and he has crutches, and he gets on his crutches, and he comes across the, the yard. Paul and I graduated high school together. Paul Tate is his name. It's just a few months ago that Paul and Jody and I, his wife, we spent some time together, and... Uh, Paul is, uh, is, you know, 49, 50 years old. Paul's mother, Brenda, is a member here, has been for some time. She comes alone every single Sunday. She is a faithful woman who loves the Lord and prays for her, her kids. Paul came up to me on the porch and he said, I saw you out here and I just had to stop and see you calls me jury. I had to stop and see you, jury. And I said, uh, it's good to see you, Paul. He said, man, things are so good. You see, I hung out with Paul and Jody for a while. and We finished our time. And then uh, one Sunday, my phone rings. I'm sitting at the dinner table and the phone rings. I look down and it's Paul. And I thought, oh no, what, you know, what's happened? And he called and he said, you you're the first one I called other than my mama. I said, what is it, Paul? He said, this morning up at Turkey Cove Church, God saved me 48 years. Brenda prayed. That's a mom 
who was sent. And he stopped yesterday and he said, Jerry, I've just got to tell you that since the Lord saved me, I've not touched a drink. Jody and I are wonderful and tomorrow I thought it'd be good for my mama if I just come to church with her. And this morning, there they sat and I went back and I spoke to her and I wished her a happy Mother's Day and Brenda said, best one ever. Mom, you're sent. You're sent. Don't stop praying. Don't give up. You have a voice that others do not. You just do. You're uniquely positioned and gifted and called to speak into your children's lives in ways that, that, that I, as a dad, will not. You're sent. God has called you. Don't ever doubt your influence. Don't ever doubt your ability to pray them through, to pray them in, to pray to the God of heaven that he rescue your sons and your daughters from the grips of hell. Moms, that is a call that is uniquely given to you in profound ways. You're sent. Live it. Pray it. And when God gives you that opportunity, speak. Speak up. Say, son, daughter, we need to talk. You are sent. Stack some chairs and go. God bless you.